0: This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Complex Games, who made Warhammer Drop Assault. You can find it on your app store. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science.
1: All right, welcome to Super Pulp Science, where genre is made. I am uh, Justin Curry taking over for GMB Kamichuk this morning because he has selfishly left us to go hang out with his family in Phoenix, and we don't miss him at all. Um, I'm here with uh, Jonas Van Niekirk and Will Little. I'm Jonas. I'm Will. Um, <laughs> these guys, uh, I used to work with these guys back at at uh, Complex Games where they still, uh, yeah, light things on fire today, so thought I'd bring them on the show and we'd talk about... Um the artwork of video games and and all kinds of stuff like that, so I thought we'd start with um kind of your your training like what what was your foundation and how that led into video
0: games I would also say me and will are both artists at the studio like in the video game industry there's programmers and what what not else I'm the art director there and will your i guess three d d director <laughs> that does uh he sort of takes care of all of the look of all of our three D models.
1: It's a huge pipeline to make a video game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it ours is small in comparison to what the AAA studios are. You guys ever watched
1: those like documentaries, like um, oh, what was it, Indie Game the movie, where it's just two guys in a garage and yeah. and long for that?
2: Yeah, yeah. That was made here, right? So yeah, was, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is an awesome movie. Um, you get the highs and lows of game development and then, (laughs) uh, yeah, some of it, sometimes it pans out, sometimes it doesn't and you kind of, you know, there's all sorts of different, uh, possibilities with that, but yeah,
1: it's good. I thought it was very similar to like how book publishing works a little bit, like, whereas you're just working on something for months, like maybe even like a year or two at a time. Yeah. With like very little like income or feedback or, or showing it to anybody, and then it's out in the world, and it's kind of all that work is.
0: Yeah, I think the industry is changing a little bit with that. There's a lot like with Kickstarter and things like that. that Greenlighting sort of on of Trying to flip the is this idea something people like? So you put something out really early, mm-hmm. like here's some sketches, here's a little animation, and if you get some bites, like there's a lot of hits that. Feel you're it sh- out. Sharing it people sharing it, then all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe there's something here that we can kind of move further with.
2: And then getting like those people in the feedback loop too. So it's like, hey, yeah. I like this about your game. I'd like to see more of that. And then,
0: yeah. you know, having some of the, you Which know, the industry import. never used to be like that at all. It was always no, like, this is a big secret, top secret till we get to the release date where.
1: Can't that backfire as well, well though? Like if you show somebody an in-progress game and the the concept isn't fully realized, and everybody starts nay saying you'll never follow through with that vision, like yeah, I imagine that yeah, to happen. sort of
0: tactical, tactif, tactical, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, like strategic, way, strategic yeah. uh, ways of of going about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily an expert at that. But. Yeah, I mean we're both artists, so it's <laughs> not draw really stuff. Like. Yeah, <laughs> it's for marketing to figure out. Yeah, yeah.
2: But I mean the whole that whole idea of uh, giving people a taste early on and then getting them to kind of buy in while the game's being made. is yeah. it's something that you know it's been around for a few years now, but there's like. I don't know. There's so much to it and like you say maybe we just leave that to marketing and <laughs> <laughs> I like I get it but
1: Um but yeah, going back originally, so Jonas, where yeah. did uh like how did you learn how to draw <laughs> for video
0: games? Uh in my basement? In your basement? And when I was little, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I've been drawing since I was a baby. Um, right out of the womb, and it's it's <laughs> funny I say that because I have three kids now, and there there's like, like my my youngest is just over a year old, and I'm like shoving a marker in her hand, like <laughs> put it on the page, <laughs> stick it on there, and then she just sucks on it, <laughs> big blue Mister Sketch mouth. Um, <laughs> so tasty those yeah. Mister Sketch <laughs> Uh Yeah, like I don't know, my parents sort of pushed me a little bit to do art uh, but really also music and I ended up just not liking music and liking art continuing that sort of like nerd in the basement who doesn't want to go <laughs> hang out with people uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know I can I can relate to that yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, and I'm not like an introvert but I would always almost just prefer to be drawing than to be out doing stuff so it was just something you always felt
1: comfortable doing and just kind of kept it up and eventually started yeah. paying the bills. And
0: Yeah, and then I went, uh, finally once out of high school, I went to a place called Applied Multimedia Training Center, which is, it was underneath the bus station in Winnipeg. <laughs> this is before the college had a 3D program here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sort of like the best thing you could get. They had like these weird Star Trek doors. So when you go in there... They're like these big glass uh, or maybe like um that warpgate movie or Stargate, stargate stargate yeah. uh, and as like a young teen or whatever, I was just like, this place seems so cool, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, yeah, so the training there was pretty pretty low low key. We didn't get much out of it, but taught yourself a lot, yeah, a lot of self training and sort of the big thing is like meeting. A couple of other guys that i still to this day hang out with all the time we got i got lucky like there's a couple of good talented artists in the in the class so um i think that's that's an interesting point
2: maybe just to touch on quickly it's like and because i have a kind of similar thing with college where maybe it wasn't ideal as it wasn't perfect like i thought it might might have been as far as what i was being taught but the fact that you're working or you're you're learning with people who are interested in the same thing. There's such a, uh, totally, there's yeah, such a resource there that you can't get outside of like outside of school
0: necessarily, like, unless you oh, create I've some fu- sort of user group. I found my people.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, yeah. yeah, I found that too. Like as you know, small town kid, like I was yeah, one of the only yeah, artists, yeah. um, and then coming to school and in college, and I'm surrounded by people who want to do artwork for a living. It was like, Oh my God, like where have these people been? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, when you're in, like, high school and you're in the art class and there's, like, kids sharpening their pencils into knives and, <laughs> you know, anything that they can do to just pass the time and you're trying to, like, do something interesting with your drawing, it uh, it's not the same as having a few other kids around you who are interested in it as well. And
2: then also, like, you know, there's a whole competitive aspect of it too to a certain extent where yeah. where you see somebody who's like super talented and you're like what the hell How do they I do thought that? I was the best yeah yeah yeah. 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 My game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so this kind of opens you up to this world that's like oh I'm maybe not the best and so I got to work at this and yeah and improve
1: crash over rhyme. what was it mess with the best die like the rest yeah I'm sure a lot of our listeners. Like as creatives want to work in video games, right? That's always kind of a a goal of a lot of young artists is is I want to work in video games. How do I get into video games? Mm -hmm. Um, So if like if you guys were were going to go back and kind of do it all over again and get in and want to get into video games, how would you go about that? And what kind of advice do you have for young people who want to get into the video game industry? Mm
2: -hmm. Make stuff. Yeah, make stuff and get it out there and get people's eyes on it that's the that's build the, the portfolio yeah build the portfolio good or bad yeah just yeah and keep get going yeah get people's eyes on it and um as, as best you can i mean online there's obviously lots of opportunity for people to um share their stuff and even with you know games and, and things like that it's like there's there's a huge amount of eyes looking for looking for stuff and
0: content so I think i think a big thing too is like repetition and and I, I always try to tell people like who are getting into like the 3d end of things um you know model a box and then okay. model an ammo crate and then model uh uh whatever a tool chest uh, and keep it simple and like keep working on that same thing over and over again until you get like some of those foundations a little bit stronger before mm. trying to tackle like your first demon angel or yeah. whatever. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to. Say, it's easy to say that now, but when I went into 3D in in school, I was modeling my demon angels right away. Out well, of gate. Well, that's the, the gate, first so. thing I want to do in 3D. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so, like, is that advice coming from? Like, you guys must see quite a few portfolios and and applications to work at your company, and is a lot of what you're seeing is just there's not enough examples of what they're capable of um like they just haven't haven't practiced I, and and worked up enough of a portfolio
2: um i think it takes it takes time to get a portfolio that's you know that's going to stand out if you're applying for for work mm-hmm. so um, taking on things that i don't know trying to trying to build that up and but make sure you're making stuff that you like too because yeah. you don't you don't want to be have a portfolio filled with uh you know content that you or it's directed to just get a job. It's like you want to be able to make mm-hmm. something that. Hey, if I'm if I'm going to get a job out of this, I want to make sure that I'm interested in doing it and it's, it's something I like. So if you're going to do it
1: eight hours a day, sometimes twelve hours a day, and when it gets crazy, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, make sure you like it. Yeah. Um. Do you guys like it when people are a little more specialized, or when they're kind of a jack of all trades, like they can do a little bit
0: of everything? It depends on. Uh,
2: it's a company scale, almost. Yeah, yeah what the company's looking for.
0: Um, it's hard to say, like, uh, our, our company scale, we, we need to have someone who's got a bit of talent and a broad sort of s- spectrum of stuff. You know but. One of the things is the ability to learn,
2: especially. Mm-hmm. like, And even with, like... Um, you know, you may not necessarily... So let's say you do specialize and you're an animator or something like that. And in a smaller company, your ability to not only animate but get content maybe into a game and and functioning and understanding that whole aspect of it is going to be so much more, more important um, than just being able to just animate because you're going to have to rely on other people a lot mm-hmm. if you only have one specialization. So, I mean, the more diverse you are, the better, I think, at the size of the company that. We're yeah, it's at, like you
1: but, said, like a smaller company, a little. Yeah, being able to do
2: a little bit of everything.
1: At the bigger companies, they probably just want you to. Yeah, yeah, you're the, just doing this. Okay. I think
0: story. I think another thing is showing showing your timeline, and uh, you know, here's here's my portfolio at the end of school. It's two years after school, and I've got one other piece. Right. That's a big like, like what what's the point in hiring <laughs> that person if they're like ba- barely got out of school and just dropped it all you know yeah um if they if they've got gotten out of school and there's a year later and there's 12 pieces that's one a month yeah it shows that they're kind of pushing themselves right Right.
1: that was something i noticed in college and, and at complex too and other places i've been the people who really excelled were the guys who were doing it like on weekends and on their own time and like you know it's yeah. it's they live and breathe artwork. It's not just a nine to five job and then leave it alone until tomorrow i've I've yeah, yeah noticed I, that
0: I've seen big big improvements just doing lunch sketches every day like oh yeah lunch sketches. remember Salky got really into it for a while, and even yeah. you like yeah yeah it uh that that's what I'm sort of talking about back to the like crate idea where it's like pick something simple in that case, you guys were doing like head sculpts or something and yeah. The repetition aspect. It's that repetition of like just going at it again and again. Yeah. It's the same thing and your brain kind of like picks up the previous day, even though you start from scratch and it catches right back up to it. And then you get to sort of infuse this extra amount of detail into it.
2: It's like, it's like anything though, right? Like yeah. in, the, in the same way that you're talking about repetitions, you can talk about, you know, drawing getting a
1: strong human hand. Everybody sucks at drawing a human hand at the beginning, but like after a hundred of them, you still you can, suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For a lot of people who who've never really looked into the industry or, or been in the industry, I wanted to walk through from start to finish. Let's say we have a video game. Um, it's about demon angels, and we we have a new demon angel boss. From conception to concept art, from 3D to rigging to animating, I I want you guys to kind of walk through what that process. Just a yeah how that pipeline looks briefly, just for people who who have never had anything to do with video game development
2: um. this is a pretty easy question really <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean you've gotta come up with sort of the concept and the and the idea for for what the game is going to be.
1: We've got all that figured out. That figured we've out. got that so all we're that figured out. are talking more like the... Okay, yeah. Like the the foundation, the world, everything's done. We're talking about that one character asset. What, well, well because, let's
0: say... Sure, yeah. yeah. In terms of uh, a video game, it's nice if you know what the character's purpose is in the game itself. Let's mm-hmm. say that this demon's... We want a fireball kind of a situation where he shoots fire. Mm-hmm. Um, often... If we're smart, we kind of create some game design ideas around that to begin with, and then wrap concept art over top of that. So, uh, let's say the world
1: influences his design. Yeah, let's say he has a
0: big chain sword that has a flame on it or something. That changes a lot of how he's going to behave in the game. Um, or we want a chain sword mechanic in this situation. Then that comes back to like the concepts stage where we can um, actually even in, in in that case we sometimes white box something without even caring what the character looks like too much
2: yeah you get the the functionality in there and it, and it working so you're really just making a makeshift chainsword to start off with and just get something in there and get it moving and functioning
1: so you, w- you make sure like the the underlying mechanics will work in the game and then you design over top yeah, of that? Ideally. it doesn't yeah. all,
0: always happen that way but yeah. uh, we have done we have that good in luck the past. Doing it that and, way, right? And then, yeah, then you kind of know, like, this guy's got a chainsaw, or he's got a big rocket pack on his backpack. Like, the once the game design kind of tells you what the, the character all is capable of, then modeling or drawing a character on top of that, you get better results because you, you yeah. really can play up to those strengths of the character in the game, right?
1: Okay, so we've got that figured out. So then you start sketching out what he looks
0: like. Yeah, yeah, it's a mixture of either sketching or, like, painting over top of really geometric shapes that you would have put together in, in Maya. Or oh, yeah. Yeah, the
2: one thing to, I guess, consider is maybe the fact that if when you're using 3D, it can be used in a bunch of different ways. Like, you could spend a whole bunch of time on a character and make it perfectly detailed and have it as the final heroic character. But you can also use 3D to concepts. So you could, like Jonas is saying, you can take primitives kind of mash them together find the forms and the shapes you're looking for and then just go 2D on top of that. Yeah. That seems like a
1: smart way to work. Yeah. And
2: like as a 3D like the your 3D lead director
1: at, at Complex, do you like getting concept art from a 2D artist or do you like being able
2: to just go to town? I personally treat- I, I'm I I like concept. I like I love it when I get the concept and it's and it's nice cuz yeah. um there's a there's an iteration process that's like huge in game development where you gotta you gotta play and you gotta test and you gotta see how it looks and and then you gotta say okay well you gotta assess what you did and yeah. and then go back and and change it or you like it and it stays whatever um, so when I have a piece of concept art what that allows me to do is step back and say okay well here's the concept art that we sort of are using for baseline and this is the three D piece that came from that. So you kind of have this jump off point that you can always go back to and reference and say, yeah, okay, well, if you look here and then this is sort of just our, our, yeah, it's our baseline for what the 3D is going to be. So it's, I think it's important to have a, a nice clean concept.
1: We also talk about comic conventions and trade shows a lot on this show. And Will, you've started dabbling dabbling at, bit, dabbling yeah. at comic cons, and yeah, Jonas, you have a long checkered past of <laughs> of trade shows and comic cons. Yes, can you tell true. us about fifty dollar shirts? Uh, uh
0: I. I <laughs> <laughs> it's very direct. I, my my dad used to own, uh, or he he ran a company that made puzzles. Um, and he printed on these. These are like wooden puzzles for kids and. He print uh, he screen uh, printed yeah he developed this weird pipeline where he screen printed onto boards and then had a jigsaw that chopped them all up whoa um and he sold them at actually at conventions a little bit as well um and so this giant i don't know if you guys have seen a screen printing machine before but it kind of looks like a giant metal octopus (laughs) these big arms sticking out of it and uh so I always called it an octopus since I was a, a child, and it was just sitting in our basement. And sort of one day, as I was growing up, decided I'm going to start using this thing. And uh, so I learned how to use it with some buddies of mine, and a lot of black ink. Later, we kind of started making shirts, and um, then we started trying to sell them at comic cons, and and like shows like Canada Day or whatever you you kind of go through How how long ago yeah. was this like what year was uh, just out of high school
2: maybe a little, apple, a little after apple, high school Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't I know you were hitting like some really awesome designs maybe like 8 years ago 7 years ago with like some of that Iron Man and, and yeah, Spider-Man and... stuff those were those are great Yeah there's one There's one yeah, hanging there's, there's on the wall <laughs> actually yeah. in yeah, the studio up there
0: <laughs> um, yeah those are Classics from a an era where I had more time in life. <laughs> it takes a lot of time to do screen printing, and a lot, a big chunk of time all at once. You need to like have a lot of cleanup and prep and whatnot. So
1: yeah, for so for those of you who don't know, with screen printing, um, every color uh, has this this screen. It's screen printing, and you have to ouija this. Squeegee. the screen squeegee Weegee? squeegee squeegee board yeah <laughs> squeegee, squeegee board the color through and then if you're doing more than one color you have to dry that in between the colors so you have to do all the blacks and then dry it and then come back and then do the reds and then dry it and then do the whites and yeah. yeah it's uh and then every screen is different and they all have to be washed and cleaned <laughs> it's and it's
2: interesting because like these designs were also for prints too right yeah, And so I think that that probably influenced a little bit of the style that you went with, right? Because you only
0: had so many colors to... Yeah, well, now that I do prints, it's kind of all been influenced by that style of like two, three, four colors. And so you started
1: with t-shirts, and then is it kind of like when Comic-Con started to just blow up and be everywhere and be so much bigger that...
0: Uh, that um, you- I switched from shirts to to prints just due to lack of time, I think. Yeah. Um, I really like doing the screen printing. I wish I could still do it. Uh, it's, I have all the equipment in my basement, and it's one day my dream to go back to it. But
1: uh, And then your kids can work for you. you exactly. <laughs> it's weird. My
0: kids are growing up with this tool that's in the basement <laughs> that, that is never being used. It's sort of this cyclical yeah. situation. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I'm just like my dad, I guess.
1: <laughs> I am a Jedi. Like my father before me will you've started to uh to take some three d art and make some some prints of it and go to comic con how How has that journey been
2: it's been great it's been it's been fun to uh to see how people react and you know how people are are if they're into it or if they're not into it it's it's nice to see because obviously in the studio life you're getting feedback constantly so iteration is is huge and so you get used to getting feedback from you know the same same crew same group of people constantly Mm -hmm. but when you're at a convention it's like the public right yeah it's really fun yeah so that that aspect of it is awesome one other thing for me is it like it caps a year like so what what i've been doing for the last couple years is uh, c4 in winnipeg here and it's just kind of like a nice way to say this is what I've completed in a year and it kind of like, gives me sort of a bookend to this personal work that I've been doing over the years.
0: Oh man, C4 is coming up, I gotta get my shit together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly,
2: yeah. So it's like I have all these pieces that I've worked through like three quarters of the way and they're not necessarily print ready. And then the last month is me just like formatting and like getting all this stuff ready mm. for print. But, Which
1: I, I love though. Like if I didn't have those like big events to kind of light a fire under my butt, well, like I so much work would go
2: uncreated. Creative projects yeah. are just, I think they work better like that. Like mm-hmm. I think when you have those deadlines and you have those like those milestones, you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, perform for that time. So, um, so having those. Those uh, in place are I think important yeah mm-hmm.
1: it's, I think uh, when I started like working for myself that was something in my mind I was like oh yeah no deadlines that's gonna be so great <laughs> and I very quickly realized that that's not a great yeah you never get anything done because everything just becomes endless yeah you gotta set those print deadlines yeah you need those you need those deadlines yeah important. and then <laughs> you realize that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
2: don't
0: think everyone does so. <laughs> No, it's, yeah.
2: Yeah. it's an important part to creative creative work because it's like well, you can keep working on stuff forever if you want to, and try yeah. to like refine it and refine it and refine it. But that's
1: a good way to like um, fizzle, like get uh, an exciting project and turn it into one you hate as well. <laughs> like yeah. you know, when there's no end in sight and you're just going to be working on the same thing forever, like that's not fun either. It's so, true. It's yeah, true. I think it also keeps things fresh and and enjoyable. So yeah,
2: yeah, and it's yeah. also like the milestone thing too. So if it is a, a big project, you can say, okay, well. This is where we were at this many months ago, and now we can see, with this version of it, that we're this f- much further ahead. So we actually have sort of this, you know, these markers again, so you yeah. can you can mm-hmm. actually really tell that you've been improving the project or or the also, art piece um, or whatever. Also, that like really it. helps
1: for the next project too. You can see how all those milestones worked and how that timeline works. So for the next time, you have a much better idea of what that timeline is going to be like. Yeah, you know? and you
2: can you can. You can pencil it in too, right? Yeah. So you can say, okay, well, whatever it might be, if it's a print or a game or anything, you have a better idea of what sort of timeline you're going to yeah. be investing into this. Oh, I can't finish eight games a year. Wow. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I wanted to, I just had a, a random thought I wanted to kind of tangent over because um, we've been, we talk about uh, print deadlines and prints and stuff like that. Um, so at, at Comic Cons, Everybody gets their stuff printed usually at a large, like a, a, a print shop of some kind and, and brings them. Some of my friends have been talking about getting um, their own printers. Jonas here has it's a large flatbed printer in his basement that he uses for his own print. So I wanted to hear <laughs> what the, well, how has that adventure been?
0: Um, yeah. So, what, so kind, what kind of printer is it to begin with? It's a Canon 4800. I think it's called. Um, it's a 44 inch print bed. So, uh, and it has like 12 cartridges of ink. And it's huge, right? Man? Yeah, it's crazy. Each cartridge, like I can fit, they're like a liter of ink <laughs> in each one. Oh my goodness. Um, although you can buy like half sizes and large sizes. Is, um, this,
2: is this something like a print shop would have? Like, is it that level? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah mm-hmm. I actually, I, had to get something printed at Staples once for whatever reason, my printer, I think I ran out of ink or something. And, uh, they have one that's like a model below what mine, uh, I kind of laughed at at seeing it in there. Um, but, uh, you know what? It's been really awesome. I I started out by buying like a little HP two foot printer off Kijiji Mm -hmm. and that sort of worked for quite a while for me, um, and we printed like on canvas with it, uh, just like this larger one. But um, it eventually kind of broke, and that kind of was a big hit. Sort sort of like not being able to fix it. I took it to a print shop, and they're like, "Yeah, this is going to cost just as much to buy a new one." So then right. we basically were like, "Well, either we do the, keep doing this, but or we." always stop and so he decided to just go big and buy a really expensive one from the states and smuggle it into canada yeah. <laughs> um statute limitation, <of> limitations hopefully <laughs> yeah. uh yeah and and it's it's really good it's expensive to kind of uh flip the upfront cost and it's expensive to manage your inks properly has it been quite the learning curve
1: to to work that thing
0: um I mean, I have a long history of working with printing materials, like oh, yeah. I screen printing. I'm managing all my own ink purchases as well. And and so that kind of idea transitioned pretty quickly for me, but um, buying paper, buying inks and making sure that I'm selling it at a decent enough pace that I'm not just like sitting with inks drying up in my machine is important, but it's it's been great so yeah. far. I haven't had to repair it yet, um, and it's like three years old now. I think wow. so. Yeah,
1: and you've been using it pretty constantly since. Sort of. Yeah. I
0: mean, I I only go to Calgary and Winnipeg, kind of, for Comic Con. Mm-hmm. So it uh, it's like sits there for months at a time without being turned on, and it's pretty good at. You push the power button, and it sort of just starts chugging away. <laughs> and, Literally, it's yeah. like shaking the, the jugs inside it. I think because oh, it uh, it sounds like that anyway, and it's like rocking itself. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and we've never tried to. We've looked into printing like on the twelve by eighteen papers and buying a printer for that, but it sounds like that's maybe just too much work. When there's pretty cheap already. You're usually
2: doing yeah. canvas, generally, and
0: yeah. With yeah. this, I only print canvas. Actually, I've been doing watercolor paper as well. It oh, nice. looks really nice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I didn't realize uh, you could print canvas on, on like a flat bed like that until you started doing it. I thought that was that was really cool. Yeah, you've yeah. gotten
0: a bunch of stuff from me before. I have. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. that's worked out okay. It has. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I still have one or two kicking around. I think probably Calgary this year will we'll see the end of it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, maybe let's talk about uh, Calgary. All three of us will be going to that show, and that is a particularly big show for us, um, one, because it's just a big convention in general. It's, it's four days. It's over 100,000 people go to that, but also because we can drive. Um, so we tend to pack up everything, including kitchen sinks, and head to Calgary. Um, so for myself this year, I'm going to be taking a, uh, a vehicle, like a, uh, a Jeep-esque vehicle with a U-Haul behind it full of all my prints and, and Greg's prints, and, and Will will be shoved in there somewhere as well. And, uh, yeah, and so for you guys, what's what's that set up? And, and it
0: uh, we've built quickly. a bunch of, like, wooden structures to hold canvas on and show it off, because it's sort of, now that I own a printer, that's sort of one of the things that I try to sell. Uh, really push the canvases because it's... Yeah, yeah. because I can, because they're... I'm getting them at cost basically for myself so it uh it works out in that end that I can sell them cheaper um and we're taking a trailer that I own just randomly actually the last was it last year my trailer broke 100 kilometers away from Calgary (laughs) but we we what happened Dave like pushed the tire and it like Wobbled and he's like, "That's weird," and then we kind of. <laughs> I didn't know this, and then we this got back a, in the car on the highway as well. This is not like like this was at like a gas station, <laughs> okay, hundred kilometers out, and then we got into Calgary and we parked it in the Calgary parking lot in the in the Stampede there, and unloaded all our stuff off the trailer, and then like literally the wheel, like, broke off. <laughs> Oh my like my it God. was broken already, yeah. but just sort of somehow being held onto the trailer. It would have like if it fell off on the highway, it would have just exploded everywhere. It would have been insane. Man, got lucky. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> kind of like creepy how you made it somehow. How we made it, and if we hadn't have made it, we would have like missed like a day or two of Calgary trying to figure out a way to. Because it was literally oh, like the axle was busted, and somehow it just held together, held together into Calgary off like wow. elbow grease.
2: Geez, yeah. the spirit of the Calgary con kept it together? Yeah, yeah I think so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All the Calgary folk got their prints because somehow the spirit was alive. They didn't know how lucky they were. Yeah, so I had to buy a new trailer in Calgary while the con was running. Luckily, my buddy there is good at hunting for <laughs> random stuff like that. Yeah. And if you ever buy something, you need to, like a vehicle, you need to like get proper paperwork signatures 'Cause
1: that like that original trailer that you bought was just like a we, like a backyard deal kind of thing, like or Yeah, it was just like,
0: like buying it off, off of someone. Right. <clears throat> but then when we got back to Winnipeg and I tried to like register it properly, they were like, Well, do you have sign signed paperwork for this? And I was and like prove yeah. that you didn't steal this? Yeah, and I was like, Um no <laughs> <laughs> tickets, please. Boss. ticket.
1: Complex Games has been around for a while now like back in the day you guys were an incubator at U of M right as part of a, uh, or even yeah, before that just before that Story yeah before tell that. us the history of Complex we Games. We were in
0: this building I think we've no not in this building the one just like one door over or something like that it's yeah it's like a block Albert Street is this Albert Street? Arthur. Arthur yeah, I think yeah Albert's so you were. the next one over yeah you close. Anyway, um, Fortune, Cat. Fortune Cat was there. That's where we sort of started, uh, although we started in Noah's house earlier than that, uh, which it was just me, Noah, and Adrian at that time. But, um, yeah, it's been like 10 years, I think. And wow. then before that, Noah and Adrian and a couple of other people had tried to uh, fire up the company for a couple of years before that, and it sort of fizzled away and then noah came back and sort of tried to st- start it up again which when is when you, i joined
1: when you guys started up was it um were you trying to make games for the pc or were you trying for like a a console or because we're, ios probably wasn't
0: yeah we a were kind yet. of there at the birth of the ios boom um but we started by trying to make stuff for pc mm-hmm. using like torque engine and then uh and we tr- we had th- we had Funding to do like three little mini projects and one of them was in Torque and then I think the other two we ended up using Unity for. Right. Or no, maybe one of them was even Ogre. Geez, I don't even remember. Like this is old. This is back in the day when engine choices were it was still a decision it wasn't just
2: like unreal or unity yeah exactly yeah
1: and for listeners who don't know like a game engine is basically like a a program that you build your game Mm -hmm. in where a lot of the the physics in the world like the the rules of the world yeah you don't have to start from scratch basically
0: yeah we actually had a lunch meeting once with a bunch of guys from unity me and noah and i don't remember who else was there but they were saying like we told them that story of like when we started using unity and they're like holy smokes you guys must have been like the first five to ten thousand users who actually started using our product like we're we're there from like right at the beginning yeah
2: yeah we were using it before you could build games for phones with it yeah like the functionality you had to be on a mac to to oh, use wow. it, it wasn't it wasn't even out for you couldn't run it on a PC yet.
0: So yeah, it's come of, a long way. Part so. of our funding at Fortune Cat, we've got to buy a bunch of Macs. Macs, right? Yeah. So you could have the engine on there. Although yeah. I th- seem to remember we made Frankenstein Max.
2: That was later, though, I think. <laughs> Maybe. I don't yeah. know.
0: <laughs> yeah, what do yeah. You, whatever those are called.
1: So what What did those first games look like? Tell was us it? about like the...
2: Pirates was one of them. That's the Pirates one. Ahoy was... Oh, and then uh, the Star... Star
0: Alliance. Star Alliance. Yeah, that was one of them. Uh, well, P- Pirates Ahoy is like a, a little pirate ship game where you sort of drew a line, and uh, you drew a line with your mouse, and sail the ship around in in real time and there's another opponent and it's kind of like a little mini battle map where uh your boat you'd like click on the other ship and it'd shoot little cannons at each other and you could pick up different abilities and use them cool um the star alliance one was spaceship flying top down uh shooter kind of a game did it uh did
1: it work off like kind of the same engine, just like skin differently? Like,
0: uh, no, no that, the Star
1: Alliance was completely different yeah. using
0: Torque. This is kinda of when we were trying to figure out what, what engines we really wanted to focus with.
1: And did any of these games like um like once they were released, what kind of traction did you guys see and how did you try it? These
0: ones weren't even released. No they, they were uh, they were more just to kind of get our feet wet right the funding i don't think it was even to try and release a product it was to to put together prototypes Prototypes, yeah that's what it was for um and after that we sort of started to realize that the phone industry might be a good choice for us i think unity was starting to announce that they were going to be supporting supporting that and so we started to uh, expand in that way where I think We got a bit more funding to make a couple of Unity games, and I think that's when you started, right? Uh, like little, doing a uh, bit before that, it was actually on Pirates that I was working. You, oh, that right, we working. had a couple of other uh stabs at Pirates trying to make it more of a finished product, yeah. The yeah, but then it was like we
2: got some we started working on prototypes for phones specifically, and all of those got released, right?
0: Right, yeah, so. Because we stopped, because we shifted to phones, we sort of stopped working on the Pirates project, even though it wasn't finished.
1: Was the, like, the end of the Pirates project, that wouldn't have been something you could download off, like, uh, the equivalent of Steam back then. You would have actually, like, printed the CD-ROMs on... Not that old, not that old. It was like, it was
2: like Facebook Games
0: era. Okay, yeah, Yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then... uh, that's when we worked on like a couple of projects like Skipping Stones, Cyber Circuit.
2: Um, yeah, and that's those. where we we learned how to make, make games for mobile. Yeah. Can you guys tell us the story of Monkey Poo?
0: What? <laughs> 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 right, we made a game called Monkey Poo. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this was like my
1: very first, like, <laughs> when I started working at Complex Games, the very first thing I was shown was look at what we've done. And it was this great game called Monkey Poo. Where you're a monkey throwing poo <laughs> at various people at the zoo. Yeah.
0: So how how did that concept? Sp- we have one uh, <laughs> one staff member. I won't name names. Right. No. <laughs> uh, who's sort of uh, got his opinion, his idea, and very strongly wants to see it pushed to the end. Um, and finally, Noah said, "This is your chance. Let's let's go for it once and for all." And and uh, his idea was... Yeah, he was, was
2: advocating for this monkey poo game like, for so long. Love it.
0: People love mo- <laughs> the idea of being a monkey throwing your poo at someone else. <laughs> and so it was a kind of like a two- or three-week project that we just sort of built. A, uh, almost like, I don't know if you guys have played the like paper toss game where you throw a uh, paper ball into a basket on yeah. a phone. Sort of similar to that, but then almost more like um, duck shooting where... You're in. Yeah, the targets are moving. Yeah, moving targets, and right, you throw right. stuff at at people walking through the zoo. Is this still
1: available on the Apple Store? Uh, Jeez, might I be. should check. It yeah. might <laughs> if I, it is, everybody go on it. your phone <laughs> right now. It's this massive
2: spike. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> Buy monkey poo. Quadruple our sales. Yeah. <laughs> at <$1 a> month. <laughs> um The other thing, like about like what I thought was cool about monkey poo was you guys were going to the GDC. Like shortly after that game was made, so you did a bunch of like bumpers for it, right? like you made some like Facebook ads or some YouTube oh, yeah. videos, yeah, that was this. where we
0: kind of decided to try marketing something which we had never really done before. uh if you're ever making a video game, good God, the marketing aspect of it is especially if you're just an indie, mm-hmm. you need to be thinking about how to market your game even before you make it um because there's so much going on there that is really daunting and scary and it's hard to get eyes on your product that's yeah. for sure that's um so anyway we 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 just made some some bumper animations which I, did you work on those or i did not no you know? i think they were finished shortly
1: um before i joined so i just remember right. being sat down and and watching
0: them all they were anything <laughs> but good for sure <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were fantastic <laughs> Um, oh yeah, I think Kevin worked on those. Did you as well? Uh, that was all him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't want to Do be wash your hands yeah. clean yeah. of that? <laughs> I did a lot of the... I did, a, I think, most of the 2D work for that game. I think I made some videos as well. Oh, I did, for sure. So, yeah, if awful. the game's
1: not on the game store, if you go on YouTube and search Monkey Poo, I, I believe those videos are still live because I'm pretty sure I've shown them to people since... <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah around yeah. that same era of monkey poo what else were we working on do you remember like it, was, it doesn't matter actually, after monkey poo really like, that's the... all we
1: need take your stinking paws
2: off me you damn dirty ape i feel like the our uh, battle Bears royale
0: was like yeah, yeah okay, battle so... Bears
2: royale was sort of that's a big part after... of
0: our company's history because we
1: that's like big actually... client right like all the prior to like battle bears what was client work like Some smaller stuff, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, Sim Fish Farmer we did. um, But yeah, Battle Bears, we were sort of uh, hired to port it to Facebook, which was a little bit of a step out of doing stuff for the iPhones. But we took it from phones to Facebook, I thought, or the other way around.
1: So they gave you like a finished game and you kind of had to tear it apart and put it back together. So it worked on a different platform. I think that's what
2: Fran was doing originally, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then after that was successful on whatever platform it was on, we got another contract Contract with with them them to do
0: a full kind of game on, on the phones, which. that was
1: start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, And that one,
0: that one was really successful. Yeah. Um, Which gave us kind of a big break to start hunting for other projects with large companies because we had some numbers behind that game. Yeah, I
1: remember too because Complex just had to concentrate on making the game great. And then they were in like the the client was in charge of a lot of the marketing. And I remember like kind of like overhearing what kind of like marketing campaign they were doing. And that's when I realized like how much that that marketing push matters with a for sure a title it was yeah it was nuts the the effort that has to be put into that part
0: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah that was a that was a super fun game to work on because they're they were they were not super strict with like what characters could do they were pretty open to like some new ideas of like weapons and you know attacks and abilities yeah Yeah. it's like like, an
0: yeah, not FPS. Was it FPS? Yeah, it's an FPS. Yeah. Third person FPS. Third person, yeah. yeah.
1: And that was Battle and Bears Royale? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah Battle yeah. Bears Royale. Since yeah. since then it's been worked on by other companies and stuff. Right. But uh and then so yeah, that led us into like we did a app for or a game for Guns and Ammo magazine. That was super. I remember there. that. I worked right. on
1: the interface
2: of that
0: one. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and we the, um then there's like we did some stuff with Ninja Turtles, DuckTales, uh, a little bit of stuff for Square Enix. Yeah, Mattel with the Creo stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was fun.
0: Um, So
1: Battle Bear is an g- example of a, a really good client. Can you guys, without naming any names, tell us a a story of a client that wasn't a pleasure to work with? <laughs>
2: um, Jeez, I don't know. Uh. (laughs) I mean, it's okay, so on one end of the spectrum, like I was saying about Battle Bears, where they're open to, you know, our ideas and -hmm. and things, Um, they're on the other side of that is just being either closed-minded or having sort of a bureaucracy to go through to get those ideas okayed. Mm -hmm. So there's like this timeline where it's like, hey, we got this idea and we can even show it to you, but it's going to take, you know, this long for their... Or their confirmation on the idea to go through. So it has to go through so many
1: stages of approval for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's and if any one of those stages says, mm, maybe
0: not then, then we're back at square one. kind right. of Right. Yeah. When you're working for someone like Disney or Nickelodeon, they've got a big, uh, Bible of stuff that you can and can't do. Right. And then you, even, even once you kind of follow their, their guidelines, you send it to them and then, like Will said, it takes them a month or two to get back to you about it, right? Uh, which can kind of screw up your timelines pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. But you learn to work with it, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, you can manage it, especially once you kind of understand what their timelines will be. You can kind of start to bring that into the production cycle and say okay well let's front load the creative decisions early and design decisions early and get
0: as much questions answered as possible right off the bat
1: you've learned to work around to like yeah yeah,
0: yeah. learn how to handle that yeah yeah working with uh, games workshop's been really nice we the warhammer guys yeah, yeah. we that's we did uh, a phone game called drop assault for them and I kind of like hit our stride and learning how to like work with larger companies uh I guess because they're they're our most recent large company client and it's sort of just a matter of like presenting the information to them as cleanly and easily as possible for them to, you know, understand it and get back to you, you know. Right. And they've been really good at responding to us and so... It's been a good relationship with them. Yeah. Do you guys
1: find, like, after a certain point, they stop... Like, the the first initial, like, suggestions took a while to get back, but after they learn to trust you, it's a lot quicker back and forth?
2: There's some truth in that, for sure.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Um. So, when I started at Complex Games was somewhere near the beginning of that, that story when it was in Noah's house. And then from there, it... Uh, it blew up quite a bit, uh, just in in employee wise and and scope wise. And we moved to a bigger studio. Um, Jonas, can you like go like through like all the different places this company has lived over
0: the years because it's mm-hmm. had a bit of a, an interesting studio history. Jeez, uh, well, I guess it started at um, Fortune Cat. Well, it started at Noah's house, then Fortune Cat, then like the university. Uh, then I think back to Noah's house and then to Hervo Street and then to where we are now on yeah, Market Street. Yeah, you guys
1: have Street. a, it's a gorgeous like old building in the exchange with like wooden pillars and big huge sliding like fire doors from like the
0: yeah every kind of building downtown in Winnipeg is an old storage (laughs) (laughs) facility of some sort
1: this one the one we're in right now this entire floor used to be open and full of um like sewing units like they were sewing furs or sewing clothes or something (laughs) like that so in between the cracks of all the floorboards are pins like if you were to scrape along like the yeah
0: you know what I used to work in this building yeah yeah. uh, on the third floor and I remember that too (laughs) um did you just find one? Did you just... Oh. oh. I don't
1: think that was from... That's probably just from me. <laughs> it's good to get that off the floor.
2: <laughs> yeah. These buildings are awesome. Nice high ceilings. Uh, good lighting. You know, yeah. Everything, It's, it's they're nice. They're I right often,
1: uh, like, I, I have a lot of friends in, like, Toronto and Vancouver and Calgary and I often brag about how great Winnipeg is for its downtown having a good amount of studio space that's affordable. I think if we were in any other city... Our, our studio situation like Complex Games is like four blocks away from this studio here we would not be anywhere close to the downtown and nearly a, a cool of area so mm-hmm. I'm yeah I like Winnipeg for that
0: yeah Winnipeg's awesome mm-hmm.
1: well on that note I think we're gonna wrap things up thanks so much for joining me guys this has been Super Pulp Science where we're encouraging you to join the fight and make comics